With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And This week we're going to be uh, looking at the 2021 draft class. Jim and Jonathan have been working on their list of the top 15 high school and college prospects for the 2021 draft. Uh, we will dig into our rookie power rankings. Just a couple weeks to go in the season, the rookie of the year race is shaping up, and we'll give you our top 10 list. Uh, we will look at the Major League debut of Sam Huff, a top 100 prospect who has made his debut over the past week. Uh, he is one of many players who this year have jumped from Class A all the way into the big league, something that we have not seen with this frequency, um, nothing even close to this. Uh, we'll look a little bit closer at that. Uh, we're going to take a look at some of the most exciting prospects at alternate training sites. Uh, a lot of top prospects have been getting their work in, and, and honestly, we haven't heard a whole lot about what's going on there, but Jim and Jonathan and Mike Rosenbaum have uh, reached out to the farm directors and gotten some information uh, that you will certainly want to uh, listen in for. Um, also going to talk about the passing of uh, longtime Yankee Mark Newman, and uh, we will answer a couple of your inbox questions that you sent us. So guys, uh, let's talk draft to start things off. Um, first of all, like everything else, unusual circumstances surrounding uh, the upcoming draft. We had, you know, we got a taste of that this year when it was just five rounds. It was shortened. Uh, everything was done remotely. Now things are a little strange for the 2021 draft already because how how are the teams even, you know, how are they scouting these guys? Uh, this has to be uh, one of the most difficult drafts for teams uh, ever, really. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we kind of split this up. I've tackled the, the college side of things, and Johnson's done the high school side, and I think Jonathan will tell you the high school side has been business, business as usual to a large extent. I mean, there's limited number of how many scouts you can send to events, and there's more, more social distancing, but college, is it's just been – I, I guess non-existent would be strong, but like you, you've had very, very few looks at guys. Um, you know, the, the season obviously ended after, you know, four weeks in the spring. And to be honest, you, you really weren't scouting 2021 draftees in the seat. You know, you, you don't, you don't scout the next year, you're scouting the current year. And if you'd known the coronavirus was coming, you would have been scrambling around even more. So even those four weeks, it, it's not like, you know, the more, most famous guy is, is Kumar Rocker Vanderbilt. It's not like scouts were lining up to watch Kumar starts because he wasn't going to be draft eligible to 2021. And you were probably going to see him this summer with Team USA and, and, and all that. Um, and then, two, um, you didn't have you. There's been very little summer action. There, there have been leagues here and there. But in terms of the, the percentage of top players actually getting on the field that would have been a normal summer with the Cape Cod League, with the U.S. Collegiate National Team and, and others, it's just very, very few guys. I mean, I, I talked, I quoted a scouting official at AL Club who said, you know, they, they've never had a worse field than the, for the college class at this point of the process ever. Um, and, you know, there's just not much you can do about it. Everybody's kind of dealing with the same thing. And we're, you know, even this fall, I don't think it's going to be normal fall baseball. I don't, I think some schools won't have fall baseball. Um, some schools may have it and restrict or, or have no access to scouts to it. There, there will be fall baseball other places, but going into next year, 
teams will have a lot less information on the college crop than they would normally going into a year. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely strange. I think, you know, you mentioned the league, the summer leagues that they did have for college. And I definitely got the easier assignment in terms of high schools, because even if you didn't send scouts to the high school events that took place, they took place and there's video and there's data. So there's things that can be done. Um, I think that, you know, teams may be more prepared for the college guys that they would take in rounds like 15 to 20, uh, just because of the level of competition at the leagues that did take place. There was no Cape Cod leagues. There was no USA baseball. So the first round talent really didn't go play anywhere. Um, you know, and I know we're going to dig into, uh, in, into Jim's college list a little bit here. And he mentioned Kumar Rocker, who's at the top of it, but his teammate, Jack Leiter, I think is one of like the biggest examples uh, of like, how do you decide where to put this guy? He's made four starts out of high school, period. That's it. How do you, you know, you're going to decide to take that guy at the top of the first round based on that, you know, People are going to be scrambling. Hopefully, there was a spring season, and uh, you know, so they can try to play catch up. But uh, normally, there's a follow list that's created from summer leagues or fall looks, and uh, maybe they're getting some fall looks, uh, but it's they're going to be behind, and there's going to be playing a lot of catch up and and not as thorough as it's been in years past for the college ranks. So, with as little information as these teams do have right now, how difficult is it to get a feel for the class as a whole? Generally, you guys know, you know, how the class stacks up compared to other recent classes, college heavy, pitching heavy, high school hitters. Um, is there any way of knowing at this point, the, the sort of, uh, how this class stacks up to others um it feels pretty ordinary to me now that said you know we didn't have guys break out like a you know nick gonzalez was great as a sophomore in college but people didn't take him seriously as a legitimate first round top of the first round prospect they went and tore up the cape cod league with wood bats and you know not you know conditions that are they're really conducive to putting up big offensive numbers like he has at New Mexico State. You know, Carmen Majinski and, and other guys emerged during the summer. So we didn't have that. I, I, I know from the college side, um, you know, it, it just seems kind of average to me. I mean, you, you've got some interesting hitters and pitchers, but I don't think either group is necessarily as strong as, as the last couple of drafts. You know, I, I think the, the college pitching was really a strength this year. Uh, in 2020. I I don't think the 2021 crop is as strong. Um, We also don't know how this long layoff and and guys not pitching that much is in 2020 is going to affect them next year. Um, You know, there's, there are a number of good hitters, but I think the college position players have been pretty strong the last two years. So I I think that the college side is pretty average and, you know, I've done a little high school stuff, you know, Jonathan's done more of it than me. And while there are some interesting high school names, I, I don't think there's a a slam dunk, can't miss, you know, Bobby Witt Jr. type of guy uh, on the high school side. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think it's it, it's a good crop, but it, it it it's not popping for me right now. How about for you, Jonathan? Yeah, I, you know, it starts to get into a like a, a chicken versus the egg argument because people that I've talked to feel that the high school class is stronger. Now, is that because the high school class has been seen or is it just working out, you know, great, you know, scouts are grateful that it is a stronger high school class uh, and they've been able to see them more. So it's, it's going to, it's going to work out better anyway. Um, What it seems to me is that uh, while there, there is not a slam dunk high school guy, um, a few have risen to the top and it's deep, uh, particularly position players. Uh, there are a lot of good high school hitters uh, to be considered. There are, you know, a handful of, of the high school pitching, which as we always know, and we've talked about tons before come draft time, tend to sink down, 
later into the first round or beyond because of signability issues because of the risk involved. But it does, you know, from the people that I've talked to when I'm working on the high school list, there is genuine excitement about the crop of position players coming from the prep ranks for this draft class. And Jonathan, I know this year our top ranked high school hitter and pitcher were Zach Veen, Mick Abel, both who went in the, in the first 15 picks. I don't sense, and again, you've done more on the high school side than I have, that there's a pl- that there's a position player who's quite as highly regarded as Zach Veen was and a pitcher who's quite as highly regarded as Mick Abel was. Is that fair? Um, I actually would ag- disagree. Well, I'll agree on the pitching front. I don't think that there's a pitcher who has really uh, stood out to that regard. Uh, there are some good ones. I do think that uh, that Jordan Lawler has kind of moved to the to the head of the class uh, on the position player front, and it's apples to oranges. Uh, he's a different player than Zach Veen, uh, but he is a guy with a ton of tools who will play a premium position. Uh, so I think uh, he hasn't like run away with well, wow, he's just been he's just been very very good everywhere he's been. Um, and so I think he is the one guy, uh, but there's a, like a three or f- top three or four in that on that high school list that uh, have kind of separated themselves from the pack, and I think could very easily, um, you know, move into into that territory. And if you remember, Zach Veen at the end of the summer was like a steady performer who had moved himself into kind of first round consideration, and then the work he did in the fall and the winter and coming out of the gate red hot in the spring is what catapulted him to the top of the first round. Uh, so there's time for some of these position players to kind of move into, into that territory, I think. So looking a little more closely at that top 15 high school list, uh, Jonathan, you mentioned a relative dearth of uh, pitchers on the list. There are only four pitchers, all right-handers. Uh, there are two other players on the top 15 list who are, listed as position players slash pitchers and Brady House and Josh Baez. Uh, the top of the list looks like this. Jordan Lawler, a shortstop out of Jesuit Prep High School in Texas. Andrew Painter, a uh, big right-hander out of Calvary Christian High School in Florida. Marcelo Meyer, second baseman out of East Lake High School in California. Brady House, third base right-handed pitcher out of Winterboro High School in Georgia. And Chase Petty, a right-hander out of Mainland Regional High School. Um, the other pitchers on the list, Chase Burns, uh, and Jackson Job, uh, both right-handers. So no left-handed pitchers in the top 15 here. Um, a couple of catchers, Joe Mack is number eight out of Williamsville East High School in New York and Ian Moeller, uh, catcher out of Wallert High School in Iowa. Uh, anything else about this list that particular particularly stands out to you, Jonathan? Uh, no, I mean I think the 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 dearth of pitching uh, certainly stands out. Uh, Andrew Painter is the guy who uh, you know I think has the best chance to be that top high school pitcher who moves into that kind of uh, McAbel territory. But he, he was you know not as good uh, as Abel, although Abel tired down the stretch in the summer also. So. Um, you know, and the guys that you mentioned who are the sort of slash guys, you know, I don't I talked to one national scout who liked Josh Baez as a pitcher because at East Coast Pro, he was 97, 98. Um, but I think everyone else sees him as a power hitting outfielder. Uh, Brady House, you know, is a legitimate two way guy. But I think if you were to poll 30 scouting directors, uh, they might all have him as a third baseman. Uh, although he's pretty good on the mound. There's some guys in his area who really like him on the mound. Um, but I think he's probably, uh, you know, he, he's as high as he is because of his ability to 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 hit and hit with, with power. But he had an uneven summer. He was the guy that kind of went in into the summer events as the guy um, and was a little bit up and down. Um, you know, didn't perform all that well, still showed off raw tools, and things of that nature, but uh, there he's going to be one of those guys that he's going to need to go out and show that he that he can hit um, and get to the power that really stands out. Um, 
I think the only other thing that stands out is, you know, a good amount of infield talent uh, with Lawler at the top. Marcelo Meyer, I think, is actually a shortstop. Uh, he played a bunch of second base at, at showcase events, but I think he could play anywhere. Uh, he's a premium defender. Khalil Watson is a guy who's kind of got an up arrow next to his name, another middle infielder type. Um, so I think the, you know, that, that stands out and several guys who just missed the top 15, um, uh, as well as you mentioned, you know, no lefties. There were a couple of lefties who just narrowly missed. If they, if this were a top 20, there'd be a couple of lefties, Brock Selvage, um, from Hamilton high school in Arizona and Josh Hartle, who's from North Carolina are two lefties who got, you know, and the feedback I got, a lot of people liked them, but just not quite enough to sneak into that top 15. All right, let's shift gears and take a look at your college list, Jim. Uh, already mentioned that it is headlined by Kumar Rocker, a name that uh, I think many baseball fans are already quite familiar with. Uh, at one point, I believe he was, uh, as a senior in high school, was early on considered one of the favorites to uh, go toward a, toward the top of the first round in, in that draft. Um He's followed by Judd Fabian, of an outfielder from Florida, uh, Matt McLean, a shortstop from UCLA, Adrian Del Castillo, catcher at Miami, uh, number five, Jaden Hill, a right-hander from LSU, number six is Kumar Rocker's uh, rotation mate, Jack Leiter, and uh, the rest of the list you can see uh, on MLB.com slash pipeline, but Jim, uh, tell us a little bit about this this college list. Yeah, I mean, it's fairly balanced. I think I've got, I want to say there's eight hitters and seven pitchers. Um, you know, there's, there's not a particular area of strength. Like I said, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a representative college class. And, and as Jonathan noted, you know, like you just – guys didn't get the chance to – to, to shine. They didn't get a chance to, you know, you didn't get to see a lot of guys take a step forward. And, and then from what most of them would have been their sophomore season, they didn't get to play during the summer. You know, you know, Kumar Rocker, I, I think it, it's funny. He's both the clear number one. And I think he'd be the front runner to go number one overall. You know, as you were saying, I, I want, I, we don't rank guys at the beginning of the summer, but, but if we did, I, I think Kumar Rocker going into his showcase circuit before senior season was, the top ranked high school player in the country. And he had a, a good, not great senior season tail off a little bit toward the end and the signability just didn't line up with Vanderbilt. And, you know, it's just kind of a sign of the times that, yeah, he's the favorite to go number one. He's the number one college prospect and he can hit 99 and show you wipeout slider and most outstanding player at the college world series. And before that he had a 19 strikeout, no hitter in the super regionals and all that stuff's great. You know, and he's exciting. He's big and physical but a, you know, there's there's still room for improvement. You know, he he doesn't really use a changeup much. His delivery is okay. It's not great. I mean, it's not awful, but it's not, you know, picture perfect. And you know, it leads to control issues at times. So there's some work to be done. And it, it's just the nature of, of college baseball and scouting it right now. That while if the draft were today, he very well might go number one overall. You know, that would command a, a seven and a half million dollar or more bonus. And I don't know that anybody would feel super comfortable handing him a check for seven and a half million dollars or more, you know, based on, you know, not having a whole lot to, to go on from a scouting standpoint. But, you know, a lot of these guys were were names out of high school. Judd Fabian, we did not rank out of high school because he graduated early so he could join the Gators in what would have been his, his senior high school season. He's the best position guy. Um, power, speed, could play center field. Um, you know, he's hit well with Woodbats in the Cape Cod League. He played in the Florida Collegiate League this summer as, as well. Um, and, you know, you just ticked off the guys top of the list. Matt McLean was a first-round pick out of high school by the Diamondbacks. Really rough freshman year at, at UCLA, but he bounced back in the Cape Cod League, had a good sophomore season as short as it was. Played well with the National Baseball Congress World Series champion Santa Barbara Foresters this summer. He kind of reminds me of Nick Madrigal a little bit, and I think he might have more pop, and, and he does have a better arm than Madrigal. So, you know, Madrigal went fourth overall in the draft. You know, and, and the, you know, just for the top of the list, Del Castillo was were highly regarded out of high school. Jaden Hill, LSU right-hander, was highly regarded out of high school. Jack Leiter, 
turned down $4 million overtures out of high school. So a lot of these guys were big names. Probably the guy who's made the biggest leap, who wasn't super highly touted in high school, it was Colton Kalzer at Sam Houston State. You know, he's, you know, he can hit. He's got power coming, solid runner, good center field instincts. He might wind up being the highest drafted player in Sam Houston State history. Glenn Wilson, who, who wound up making an all-star team, was the 18th overall pick in 1980. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk about our rookie power rankings, where there is a new number one, uh, as well as a few new names added to the list. Uh, but first, a word from our sponsor. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com MLB. That's hit in the air. The right center field track, and that is Luis Robert. He dies, and he's got it. An all-out dive into right center field. Luis Robert, highway robbery. Line, and that'll get into center field. Coming from third is Myers, and the Padres take a 4-3 lead. RBI single for Jake Cronenworth. Puts the Padres back on top. Swing and a high fly ball deep left center field. On the run to the one track. Kyle Lewis near the wall. Leaps up, and he makes the catch. Holy smokes, Kyle Lewis. Over the wall in left center, brings it back, and he takes a grand salami away from Raymond Laureano. Holy smoke. All right, these guys have been providing highlights all season long. We've had the same three players at the top of this list throughout. Kyle Lewis, Lewis Robert, and Jake Cronenworth, and they're still up there, despite the fact that all three of them have struggled lately. Um but we do have a new number one, and there was a lot of conversation about this when we put this list together. Um, Jay Cronenworth, now number one on the list, followed by uh, Luis Robert and Kyle Lewis. Kyle Lewis had been had held down the number one spot each of the first couple times that we put this list together. Um, but those guys still, the three of them, uh, it's been a pretty big gap between the three of them and the rest of the list. Uh, maybe tightening a little bit with some some of the new names who have really come on strong, uh, Sixto Sanchez, Ian Anderson, uh, namely. Uh, but guys, talk about the very top of this list. And you know, of course, when it comes to Rookie of the Year award, you're not we're, nobody's going to have to decide between Cronenworth and uh, Robert and Lewis. But what are your thoughts on uh, who is having the best rookie season at this point? I think you can make an argument for for any of those top three, and it is interesting that all three of them have scuffled uh, offensively some. Uh, you know, it, it is also interesting to note that they're finding other ways to to contribute. And one of the things when we were going back and forth about the rankings is noting that, uh, you know, everyone talks about Luis Robert and his tools and his unbelievable ability in uh, – in the outfield, but Cronenworth has been a, a really, really good defender. Uh, we just saw Kyle Lewis rob a grand slam uh, recently against uh, against the A's, and he plays a I think a better than expected center field. Um, I'm not looking at data to back that up, but I just feel like he's showing up in highlight reels often. Um, you know, so 
having a little struggle for you know a couple of weeks is something that happens over the course of all season. But it it is it was interesting to sort of mix up the order a little bit. And while Cronenworth isn't competing, uh, Robert and Kyle Lewis are. Uh, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens down the stretch with the the two American League outfielders and who finishes strongly and 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 walks away with that American League rookie of the of the year hardware. And I'm not too surprised they've come back to earth a little bit because I don't think any of us really thought Jay Cronenworth was going to win the National League batting title. And as talented and Robert and Lewis are, both those guys do have some swing and miss issues. They they do expand their strike zones at time at times and you know I, I think with the starts they got off to they're you know getting pitched they're not sneaking up on anybody anymore i mean people are pitching them very carefully um and i think sometimes too when you're especially when you're a rookie you start to struggle for the first time and then it can snowball on you a little bit but i think both these guys will snap back uh you know, neither of us vote i would wonder if given the fact that the the white Sox are going to the playoffs and have the best record in the American League right now, and the Mariners probably are not going to the playoffs. Uh, I, I guess they could catch the Astros th- theoretically. Um, if that might play a factor in uh, in Robert maybe winning the Rookie of the Year award over Lewis, if, if if it's a close race in the end, and and I do wonder. I mean, if Sixto Sanchez keeps pitching like this. I wonder if Sixto Sanchez passes Jay Cronenworth and takes the National League Rookie of the Year. Now, I think he's probably got three or four starts left. I, I, I can't keep track of the season. I don't. I know they have a few makeup games. He might have four starts left, but if he winds up with nine starts and a sub-two ERA, uh, maybe, maybe he comes in late and, and wins it at the wire. That's an interesting question regarding the, the the pitching. Like, what amount of innings or starts does a pitcher need to like really feel like you've seen enough to 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 give them a chance? And there hasn't been a pitcher who's been up all year who's dominated enough, right? Jesus Lazardo has shown glimpses. Dustin May has been good. Uh, Tony Gonsolin has been has been very good, uh, but a little more under the radar. Uh, but none of those guys have sort of been dominant the way Sixto Sanchez or even Ian Anderson that, you know, who Jason mentioned over his first few starts uh, has been, uh, you know, I don't know what the answer is. Like, I don't know in this weird year, like how many starts a guy needs to make before the writers who vote on the awards decide, uh, yeah, you know, I've seen enough. I think he should be you know under strong consideration to win. Yeah. Ian Anderson, has been just fantastic in his four starts. He's 3-0 with a 1.64 ERA, 27 strikeouts in 22 innings, 0.91 whip. Probably only has a couple more starts, though. Uh, six start? Could he, could he possibly garner consideration for Rookie of the Year with only six starts? That might be tough. Um, but again, you, you just don't know. I mean it's an odd year. I mean, I guess six starts is equivalent to 16 in a normal season. Uh, that might be a little light. You know, maybe he has a seven start, you know, maybe if he has another spectacular start, uh, you know, it's just, I mean, they've, cause they've only got, I think the Braves only have what 12 games left now as we record this. Um, whereas the Marlins have 15. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard figuring out questions like that this year. So in addition to Sixto Sanchez and Ian Anderson, uh, Alec Bohm and Christian Javier were the other two, two players who, uh, entered the list after having not been ranked in our previous edition of this list. Uh, you're listening to the pipeline podcast, uh, Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo and guys, we've seen so many players this year jump from a ball all the way to the big leagues. Uh, And of course this is largely been the case because a lot of these guys would have been at double a this year and, you know, possibly been ready to make the jump over triple a to the big leagues. That happens quite a bit, but not this often. We've seen 19 players now 
who had no double A experience, uh, reached the big leagues. And that is more than in the past seven seasons combined. Um, one of those players, uh, being Sam Huff, who debuted, uh, over the past week, uh, we always like to highlight, uh, top 100 prospects when they make their debuts, but talk a little bit about, uh, all of these players that we're seeing make that big jump. Well, I, I think a lot of it's just out of necessity. I mean, there's a number of factors. One, I mean, the rosters are bigger. You know, they're, they're 12% bigger than they were a year ago. But with the coronavirus, you have a limited pool of players. You know, it's not like you have your AAA team and you need a catcher and you can just turn to the AAA team and call the veteran up. You, you've got whoever's in your 60-man camp. I, I think the first of these guys called up, was directly out of coronavirus necessity. It was it was Jordan Holloway with the Marlins when they were, you know, dealing with with problems at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, the the Rangers. You mentioned Sam Huff. Uh, you know, Trevino sprained his wrist. Uh, Jose Trevino did, and they had one other catcher on the roster. It was Jeff Mathis. So so Sam Huff came up from the the minors. You know, another Ranger, Shirt and Apostle, came up. Uh, three days ago from when we're recording this. And that was because they had an infielder who was sick and they were playing a double header and they needed a third baseman. So they raced over and got him from their alternative camp. But I, I think we've had, I mean, even in the last, we're recording this on the 15th in the previous four days, we've had seven guys make their debuts. And that's more, just in the past four days than we had in the past three years combined. And if you go back and look, I know Mike Rosenbaum's done a decent amount of research on this going back to 2013. Most of the guys who, who have made that class a two big league jump were rule five picks out of necessity where you had to keep them on the roster. I mean, the, the, the two biggest names were Jose Fernandez and that was a talent move back in 2013. And then probably Roberto Osuna in 2000, 15, but most of the other guys were kind of, you know, a couple of coffee guys who haven't made an impact, you know, this year, I mean, it's been a ton of guys, including, you know, multiple top 100 prospects and former top 100 prospects. Yeah. I mean, I think it is important to, to, to reiterate that point, Jason, that you made that they're only going from a ball to the big leagues because there was no minor league season this year. Uh, I think, you know, if there had been, a normal season, they would have moved up in double A. Maybe they would have even been promoted to triple A, especially, you know, by this time, uh, if, if they were going to get called up. And when you combine that with the necessity Jim was mentioning, that, that's led to this, uh, you know, th this propensity of, of call-ups. I don't know what the total number for the, do we have that? The total number of major league debuts for this season? Um, you know, it, it's surprising when there's only one top 100 guy to get called up, uh, even though there's been more and more guys getting getting called up. So it's it, it's at the point now where like nothing is surprising. You know, a guy gets called up and it's, well, that guy hasn't played above a ball. And then there's the occasional that guy still plays baseball. Um, you know, you have the, the the flip side of that, the veterans who we forgot about who are now getting another opportunity because uh, there's just uh, been the the need with the larger rosters and the the rush to to the season has led to more injuries especially on the pitching side and so it's all you know tied together in this recipe of uh, there being just a constant flurry of of prospects being called up and getting a chance to show what they can do Jonathan 190 players have made their debut through games of September 14th this year which is ridiculous, right? I mean, given the amount of games that they've played, it's that's unbelievable. What do you think the total was for 2019, a full season? <clears throat> Less than that. I'm looking. I think I think it was more than that, actually. Really? Dang. Well, you have a, you have does a longer fit season. My it two, doesn't two, fit my narrative then. It, well, it doesn't. It doesn't. It was 261 games, but there were three times. The season was three times as long last year too, as we are at this point. So, so one of the most recent debuts, and I mentioned it uh, before, was Sam Huff, uh, one of 19 players to make the jump from A ball this year. Uh, last year's Futures Game MVP, 
guys, when you think about Huff, you know, the word big comes to mind. He is a large human being, six foot five, 240 pounds. Um, not too many catchers that size have, have ever played the game at a consistent level, uh, at the big league level, uh, big arm. One of his biggest tools, uh, is his arm behind the plate and the big bat. He's got some of the biggest raw power, uh, probably of anyone in the minor leagues, but certainly, uh, among top catching prospects. Yeah. I mean, he's a, you know, it'd be easy to label him an offensive minded catcher, but he's actually much more athletic than you would think a, a catcher or a six foot five, 240 pounder would be. He, he, he moves well for his size. You'll actually see him steal bases, take extra bases, moves well behind the plate. He, he's really worked hard to improve significantly as a catcher. Um, talking to scouts outside the organization, uh, you know, they give him a lot of praise for a guy that tall gets down and blocks balls in the dirt and handles pitches low in the strike zone much better than you would think a, a guy his size would. Um, Texas has, you know, metrics they use to grade, you know, framing ability. He does very well uh, in those, you know, still needs to get more consistent with his receiving. You know, he's only 22 years old. Um, so there, there's time for that. And uh, I mean, obviously the thing that stands out most about him, we saw it in the futures game. It is the power. Uh, you know, he, with his size, his strength, his leverage, and his his very very aggressive approach, he he's all about the long ball. I mean, he's he's got 56 homers in 322 games in the minors. He, you know, he there is some swing and miss with that approach, but when he connects, he hits the ball hard. Highest exit velocities the Rangers have measured in their system since Joey Gallo. Um, power plays against lefties and righties. Um, you know, probably a guy who's going to hit for a lot more power. Um, you know, probably not a high average, although he makes enough contact to get into that power. And I think when all is said and done, you're probably talking an average, maybe a little bit better than that receiver with a very good arm um, and a lot of power. I mean, he, he's a real interesting guy. You know, like we said, I, I don't think he, he would not have made his debut this year had Jose Trevino not gotten hurt. I mean, the Rangers aren't going anywhere. They're battling the Red Sox for the worst record in the American League. I mean, the service time considerations really won't mean that much because it's only going to be a couple weeks of service at most, and I doubt he's going to make their opening day roster next year. But this was more, you know, sheer necessity. And, and, you know, one thing I think, too, is what teams are doing in some of these cases when they need a player or, or an opening gets created. This is a development opportunity for some of these guys. You know, Sam Huff didn't get any real at-bats this year. Um, so now, you know, he's not playing every day and when Trevino is healthy again, you know, Huff, you know, that may, you know, I don't know if they'll keep him real play that much. He may only get 20 at bats, but you know what? Getting 20 at bats against big league pitching, uh, you know, isn't, you know, like that can only help that gives Sam Huff a point of reference. You know, it's a small sample size, you know, he's struggling to this point, um, you know, which I don't think is entirely unexpected, but you know, it may give him indication. This is what I need to do. And, and it gives him some actual game reps that he wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So I, I don't think that can hurt. Uh, Jim, you touched on this a little bit in talking about Huff and, and uh, looking at, looking at this list of players, how many of these guys do you think stick at the big league level? How many are going to be back in the minors next year? And, and more generally, how does, how does this affect their trajectory um, and their development in, in the long run? You know, I think that without you know counting who sticks and who who doesn't, I don't I don't think that you know them getting rushed if it is being rushed to the big leagues impacts them any more than the fact that they didn't play this year. Uh, you know, everyone is set back, and we're going to just have to wait and see how it impacts development and which guys can sort of move past it quickly. And don't if if anything, even if they struggled. And you know, we've talked quite a bit uh, on this podcast about how tough the leap has been, even for guys who, you know, were, were really ready. You know, uh, you know, you look at Joe Adele. Uh, if this had been a you know a normal season, it probably would have followed the similar uh, similar path in terms of maybe starting the year in the minors and getting up quickly and getting a chance to show what he what he could do. And 
And he is not alone uh, among guys who have really, really struggled in this first taste of, of facing big league pitching from from the offensive side of things. And but I I think in the long haul it's going to help players like him, uh, you know, as much if not more than just staying on an alternate site all year where you're sort of facing quasi competition. If you're a younger player, I think there's been some benefits to it because you're facing guys who you know may have been in the big leagues and uh, or at least higher levels of competition, but it still doesn't replicate playing 140 games in the in the minor league. So I don't I don't see this as being the kind of thing where you know, I think like in the past we've talked about when a guy from A ball is a Rule Five pick and he sticks and he doesn't play, you know those guys often end up being never heard from again, especially on the offensive side of the uh, offensive side of things. I don't see this as being detrimental overall to, to their development. You know, we'll just have to wait and see what all of the sort of COVID impacted reality does on development as a whole for young players. Yeah. I mean, and that's, it'll, I mean, I think everybody's focusing on 2020 right now, but it could have, not not these guys in particular, but it's going to have a negative effect on some players. You know, losing a year. You know, even some guys who maybe were in alternative camp, not getting regular innings or regular at bats. You know, I, I'm concerned. You know, with all the care that's given is is to workloads for pitchers. What do you do with guys thrown on the side? Is not the you know same as thrown in a real game. All these guys who didn't pitch this year are pitched you know, 20 innings in an alternative camp, which isn't the same as 20 innings in a game. How many innings can you really give those guys next year? You can't ramp them back up to 120. You're going to have to build guys back up again. And I mean, getting back to your, your your original question there, Jason, you know, I think with most of these guys, like Jonathan said, I mean, you know, I think Chris Bubich, Bubich might stick with the Royals. He's pitched, he's had his moments. He's been one of their better starters this year. So maybe he sticks, but I think the vast majority of these guys probably will begin next year in, in triple a or you know in a couple cases maybe double a it's not like you know jose garcia who i really like as a prospect you know he's not tearing it up with the reds so i don't think the reds are necessarily gonna say okay he's our shortstop going forward you know he's gonna get some more experience but but if i had to bet on one of these guys um Bubich might be the the best bet to make an opening day roster in 2021 uh we've talked about this several times in previous podcasts that you know, we hear a lot about alternate training sites and guys being called up from there and players being added to the 60-man roster, but we haven't heard much at all about what's actually going on there. You'll see the occasional uh, highlight of Jared Kelnick hitting a home run, um, but really very little information coming out of there. But you guys, uh, Jim and Jonathan and also Mike Rosenbaum, uh, got in touch with each team and came away with a, a lot of really good information. And we put together a list of the most exciting prospect or the prospect who has stood out the most uh, at each team's alternate training site. There were 16 top 100 prospects on that list, five of the top 20 overall prospects, uh, a couple of former number one overall picks. Um, a lot of really good information there. You can see that story on MLB.com slash pipeline. Uh, but Jim and Jonathan, I know you guys want to highlight a couple, a couple players each uh, that you were able to get some information on. No, absolutely. Uh, and the thing I liked about this is, is that we were able to find information and not just on the, you know, the, the top 100 guys. And it's mostly not guys who are going to get a chance to show what they do this year. So, uh, we'd be getting you know updates on performances normally, and so to be able to shine a light on what guys are doing, uh, I think uh, you know uh, was really informative. And uh, the two guys I want, uh, one on the offensive side, Jared Kelnick, is one of the few guys I think we probably have seen more and heard more from, and maybe just the Mariners' development, uh, you know, and their their front office have done a better job of sort of getting info. Is that he has continue to do what he did in spring training, what he did during summer camp. He just keeps hitting, um, you know, ton of power. Um, but he's also really defended. Well, he's run well, he's throwing, he's thrown all five tools and kind of grown into more of a, a leadership role, even though he's, you know, still one of the younger guys in camp. And remember this is a guy who made it to double a in his first full season. 
Um, and as we've discussed, is very, you know, very confident in his abilities and is showing that he, he could probably handle a call up to the big leagues at this point if, if he wanted. So it's been exciting to hear about him continuing. And then the other guy I wanted to highlight was Hunter Green, who's, a, you know, not a, an immediate addition to the Reds uh, alternate camp, kind of came in a little later. You know, I don't want to say he was forgotten because you don't forget a guy who was the number two pick in the draft and, you know, threw a hundred miles plus a dozen times in the futures game. But you know, he had, he had Tommy John surgery in April of last year uh, and would have been getting innings this year, a little bit under the radar, but we would have been paying attention. So this would have been two years of kind of not hearing about Hunter Green pitching you know i think most the the biggest thing we had heard from him was when he pulled off that ridiculous trick of throwing a ball through a moving car with open windows um but he has been throwing really really well uh showing excellent command of you know what's often plus stuff and then on top of it he started to work on a cutter um which would give him uh, another option especially because his changeup has been his third pitch uh so for him to have some other way to manipulate the ball and change speeds a little bit uh i think could could help him uh you know as he gets back to you know full full strength but it sounds like at this point he's he's pretty close to the guy that we saw in in the futures game in 2018 two guys who, who who all highlight uh one is the uh, constantly growing Tristan Casas with the Red Sox, who I think is officially listed at 6'5", 250, after being, I want to say 6'4", 236. Listed, we, we had him listed that way a year ago. There was a recent story, on, I think, on WEI.com that had him up to 255. So as we speak, he's probably like about 6'7", 280, and he's, he's, he's like the marshmallow man in Ghostbusters. He keeps getting bigger, but he's... Uh, He's exciting. I mean, you know, huge raw power. I mean, that's what made him a first-round pick back in 2018, but also a mature approach. And so that power plays. You know, last year he was one of the youngest guys in the South Atlantic League. He was second in the league in extra base hits, third in homers, fourth in slugging. Um, he's a really good defender at first base, too. You know, it's tough because, I mean, he's a guy, he's so young, he really could have used 500 at-bats this year. That said, I, I still think he might move pretty quickly for a high school guy, um, but he probably still needs a couple more years, a couple full seasons in the minors. But his his bat is certainly intriguing. And then with the White Sox, uh, you know, it was it was it was tough not to go with Andrew Vaughn, who was the number three pick in last year's draft, who who's looked very good. But but the guy who's kind of been the talk of their camp is Garrett Crochet, this year's first rounder. And I mean, we've talked about him a few times on the podcast and you know I, I think this could wind up being a steal in the draft i mean if we'd had a normal college season i don't think he gets to the 11th overall pick he had some some very mild shoulder soreness at the beginning of the season at tennessee and nobody knew we we're going to have a coronavirus shutdown and so the volunteers you know kept him you know very cautiously decided to hold him out for the first couple of weeks of the season you know, we weren't in conference play yet. Um, and so he'd be ready for SEC play. He did come back, made one one appearance before the college season ended. And he looked spectacular. He was spectacular in fall ball. And I think with a normal year, he goes out, he proves he's healthy in the SEC. He shows great stuff. And he might have been a top five pick instead of lasting to 11. But he's been an alternative camp, you know, the fastball, you know, granted it, it's shorter stints. It's not like he's, you know, going seven inning starts. But he's been sitting in the upper 90s, hitting 101 miles an hour with his fastball. The fastball's got high spin rates. His slider's got high spin rates and could be a well above average pitch. His changeup shows flashes of being a well above average pitch. There aren't too many left-handers around who have better stuff than him. I just have to interject real quick because uh, we don't love comps here, but I have to the the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Like he he didn't get bigger. Like he was envisioned bigger. 
by the Ghostbusters, and then he showed up big. He didn't. He didn't keep getting bigger, so that comp doesn't work for me. Uh, I guess not. And, and I will say, I was not trying to imply that Tristan Casas is marshmallow soft. I, I. But you're right. It's right. It's hard so. to come up with a comp of something that kept growing and make. He's it, the O'Neill Cruz of first baseman. So. Better, much, That's much better. better. I don't. I don't think. That I like makes... the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. I, I think it's more vivid, but uh, apparently not. 100%. You don't think he wants that nickname? All right, you're listening to the Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Jason Ratliff. And guys, I know we were uh, chatting over the weekend when we got news that uh, Mark Newman of the Yankees passed away on Friday at the age of 71. Uh, someone that I know uh, both of you dealt with uh several times over the years, uh, dating back quite a long time. Uh, Mark was initially the coordinator of minor league instruction for the Yankees, uh, overseeing all the organizations, managers, and coaches, uh, rose to become the vice president of player development and scouting in 1997, and then served as the Yankees senior vice president of baseball operations from 2000 until 2014. And, uh, you know, I think when you hear his name, uh, the thing that you often uh, relate him to was the development of uh, the core four, the Fab Five, whichever uh, Yankees stars that you want to include in that group, Bernie Williams, Derek Jeter, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, and Mariano Rivera. Um, yeah, some uh, sad news over, over the weekend. Yeah, and he, you know, he's really one of the underrated uh, parts of those four Yankees World Series in five years. You know, they, they won a couple other pennants in there. Um, you know, he, he was a guy, like, I actually knew him not well, but but when I was at Georgia, he was Old Dominion's coach. Um, and we played Old Dominion because Georgia's coach at the time, Steve Weber and Mark Newman, played together uh, on College World Series teams at Southern Illinois. And they were good friends. I believe they were actually in each other's weddings. Um and so I knew Mark Newman from being on the baseball beat at Georgia. But when he when he went to the Yankees, he kind of unified the way they instructed players and had everybody, you know, on the same page. I believe he produced a, a thick manual on, you know, basically the way the Yankees were going to teach their minor leaguers. And, you know, their farm system was was never better than it was in the 1990s when it was churning out, you know, Rivera's in the Hall of Fame, Jeter's in the Hall of Fame, Williams and Pettit and Posada have Hall of Fame cases they can make. Um, they produced a lot of players the Yankees traded. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Jason, he rose um, to, to oversee farm system and scouting and then all of baseball operations. I've done the Yankees for the last, you know, few, several years at MLB.com. I mean, Jonathan, you obviously spoke to him too. Um, yeah, you know, just very, very sad news. I, I, I can't think, I mean, <laughs> I think it back to the first prospect handbook at baseball America that I worked on. I, I did our Yankees reports and talked to Mark. I probably spent a hundred hours would probably be on the high end, but I've probably spent, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 hours talking prospects with, with Mark over the years. And, uh, I was, you know, just doing a little more research. I didn't realize he played his high school ball in Wheeling, Illinois, which is about 20 minutes from where I live right now, which I had not, uh, had not realized. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked to him over the years. I mean, you know, when he was overseeing the farm system, you know, and we started doing reports from each team, you know, in the spring training. So I would go talk to him there and he was, you know, because he did, things on kind of both sides, both on scouting and player development. He often was a, a, an incredibly invaluable research, uh, you know, place to a resource place to go for not just for information, but just to talk about the game. And, you know, there are a handful of guys who have kind of done both things that you could talk to. And there, you know, there are stretches of time with Mark when, with the Yankees where you could talk to him about both at the same time. Like, Hey, well, let's talk about the farm system. Oh, you know, let's talk about the draft. Um, you know, so even if he was only, you know, at that point going to look at like the top, top guys, he, he, he could do both of those things. He, to me, he's one of those guys, you know, he spent his entire career there. He could have very easily been a general manager somewhere because of the, the, the various things 
that he did and the success that he had in, in, in doing them. And, um, it is, uh, it's a loss, uh, for the sort of larger baseball family. Um, and, you know, people within the Yankees organization certainly know, uh, what a treasure he was and how important he was, even if the rest of the world didn't always know to, uh, the extended run of success that they had at the major league level. All right, we are going to wrap up this week's edition of the Pipeline Podcast by answering a couple of questions that you sent in to us. Uh, you can tweet your questions to at Jim Callis MLB, at Jonathan Mayo, at MLB Pipeline, or you can email them to pipeline at MLB.com. Uh, we got several questions regarding the draft and how the draft order is going to play out. Got one question from Pedreg Rogers at PM Rogers X, who asked, uh, I am asking from the point of view of a lifelong Pirates fan, Ugh, what is your prediction regarding the draft order for next year and how many rounds would you guess? And we got another question from Stephen Murray at Stephen Murray 10 says, would MLB consider a lottery for the non-playoff teams this year for the draft? I know, I know it's not set yet. Nothing has been finalized, but what's your best guess as to what's going to happen with the draft? I mean, Jim, it's got to be some kind of combination of the last two years, I would think, right? This season was not long enough, I I think, to use just 2020 to determine draft order. Uh, I mean, I suppose you could, but I just, uh, I feel like it was just too short to, to really represent, you know, who should, you know, draft where. Um, so my, I'm going to guess that it's going to be some kind of hybrid um, combination of the two years. Um, and then you pick your fastest guy to run a 60 to break ties. That's what I would do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, we get asked this question. I, I don't know if you do. I get asked this question multiple times every week. Whenever I do the inbox, we alternate the pipeline inbox. I get asked it for the pipeline inbox. It's obviously, you know, streamed in from, from that avenue as well. The, the, the short answer is MLB's had a lot bigger things to worry about than the 2021 draft order. So I don't think they've spent much time, maybe a little, if maybe none, worrying about this at this point. I agree with you. It's been such a odd season. You know, you've had teams that, you know, had long coronavirus layoffs. You've had teams had to play a bunch of double headers. Nothing about this has been a typical season. And the way the language and the agreement between the players and the owners reads is that the commissioner, because it's, I think, less than 81 games, has the right to revise the way the draft order is determined. You know, in, you know, as long as I think he basically does it in good faith and, and, and tells the union. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think the most fair way to do it would be to do some combination of, of last season and this season. I don't know if you double weight this season. Uh, you know, it's possible. You know, the, the, the crazy thing is, you know, the Marlins last year lost 105 games. And, you know, might make the playoffs this year. <laughs> um, so, like, they could wind up having a, a high pick. Same thing with the, the Padres, you know, lost a bunch of games last year and are fighting for the best record in the National League. But, yeah, my guess is they will do some sort of combination. Um, I don't think I, – I, a lottery would surprise me. I, I don't think they would just drastically change things and go to a lottery – in terms of how many rounds, you know, right now the agreement is for 20 rounds. And and I, I, I'm i going to be a pessimist here, guys. I, I'm going to take under 20 rounds. I, I just, I can't, there's just too many things I think that could happen to have it be fewer than 20 rounds. The owners didn't want to have a draft this year um, and only had a five-round draft, which is the minimum the union said they had to have. Revenues obviously are going to be way down. They're not going to want to be spending money they don't have to next year. 
we just talked at the beginning of this podcast about how nobody has any real feel for the college class at this point. And we may not have college baseball as a, a normal year again next year. The, you know, if we, if football doesn't happen, if college football doesn't bring in revenue this fall and who knows how that's going to go, I like, I, I don't, our mid-major schools going to be able to afford it. You know, we might have conference only schedules, but I, I don't think we're going to see a 56 game schedule. I don't think you're going to see cold weather schools migrating to Florida and California uh, during spring break for two week road trips. I, I think that stuff's going to be drastically different. So we're probably looking at a shorter college season and, if, you know, the pandemic doesn't get under control, we may have things shut down again. Um, you know, who knows if schools are going to be open to play the high school games. So uh, th- th- there's my doom and gloom portion of the broadcast. But I, I just I I find it hard to believe that everything is going to go so swimmingly that we're going to get all kinds of looks at players that teams would need and that the owners are going to be like, yeah, let's go ahead and have it. I mean, if you have a 20 round draft. That's an extra now, – now, for me, I would want a 20-round draft, but that's an extra probably $3 million a team compared to what they spent this year, and I don't think teams, teams didn't want to spend it this year. Well, Jim, thanks for taking us out on <laughs> – Well, you could ask Jonathan what he thinks about rounds. He didn't address how many rounds he thinks we're going to have. He might, he might have some optimism for you there. I'm all from fresh out. Sorry. Fresh out of optimism. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Look for the Pipeline Podcast every Wednesday. We'll be right back at you next week.